This recording is especially for the podcast as Sunday's recording didn't work. So in case you're wondering why no one is laughing at my hilarious jokes this week alone, it's because there's no one else here as I'm speaking. Uh, Our pandemic watch that we finished just last week with many tears was This Is Us. It's basically the story of a family over two or three generations. I was talking to one of my ex-colleagues who now lives in another country and said, oh, do you watch This Is Us? And he said, "Mm, my wife watches it, but I got a bit sick of being emotionally manipulated, which is sort of how it goes. Well, sorry if you're languishing in season three here. I'm going to give a plot spoiler. A character gets diagnosed with dementia and she says to her children when she's still a compass mentor, she says to her children, I don't want you to limit your lives because this is my illness. I want you to live freely and fearlessly. I think that's a very Western culture type fear that I as a parent might limit my children's freedom. I think that's less of a concern in non-Western cultures. And we most value our rights as an individual to do what we like and parents fear not giving that to their children. The characters, the children in the story, repeat it to each other throughout the plot. Mom said, live fearlessly. And I couldn't wonder, I I was sort of wondering whether that is actually the message of the programme that you should live fearlessly because it's not actually what they do. In fact, the child that has been a narcissist all the way through is sort of redeemed at the end of this story by giving up his own dreams and moving across the country to care for his mother. I don't know if that was on purpose or not. But what's clear is we know it's not heroic to abandon your parent and do your own thing, even if they say that you should do that. Now, my friend who doesn't like being emotionally manipulated, I think he's actually saying he doesn't really like having emotions of any sort. But anyway, this is us still, even if it's manipulating our emotions, is always exploring the relevance of this command that we're looking at today without ever mentioning the command or the Bible. The whole programme actually explores what's your responsibility to a dead parent, to a parent who's abandoned you, to an adoptive parent, to a controlling parent. But what's never in question is that there is some responsibility to somehow honour a parent. And in fact, if you don't, it's yourself you will destroy. I think it's a sign that even in this world where we might sneer at this command, it's so heteronormative, it's old-fashioned, it's patriarchal. There is either something in the way we are made, or we have been so shaped by this book without realising, that honouring the people whose biology we share, or who take the role of caring for us as parents, is important to us. But as this is us shows us, it's extremely complicated. Remember this command was given to a nation with a shared faith, with expectations on parents and children enforced by the law. And this command was really in stark difference to the place where they'd been before. They'd been a slave class, their whole nation. So all people were of no use. They were just discarded when they couldn't work. But in this new nation, free from that, Look after and respect your family as they age.
but now we're not in that situation. Christians are a scattered people throughout the world, mixed in with numerous cultures. So it's complicated, and we'll get to that. It's not the same as when this command was given. But I think what we're going to see is that in honouring our parents, no matter how bad they are, there's some redemption, some good, a beam of light in a dark world. Because these ten words to live by, these ten important ways to live, reflect the God who made us. And that lasts all the way through time. But in that truth we have questions, and here's my first. What do you mean by honour? There is again, in modern Western culture, just one principle in effect in relationships, and that principle is consent. If I didn't choose it, why should I have to put up with it? This week, some Tory MPs had a vote and decided that Boris Johnson should stay Prime Minister, and lots of people tweeted with the hashtag, not my Prime Minister. Why is he not my Prime Minister? Because I didn't get a chance to consent. And that idea, while it is a good one for many relationships, that idea has sort of seeped into the way that many people think about their parents. Okay, you can be my parent if you do a good enough job at it. If you prove you will not damage me or hurt me or constrain me as an individual, I will make room for you to be my parent. And honestly, the Western world is littered with people whose parents have sort of drifted or been pushed out of their lives because staying connected to them limited their own plans, often because of the imperfections of their parents. But the Bible says some relationships are given. You're in them, whether you consent to them or not. That's part of being human. And we need to do our best to model our attitude to God's authority in those relationships that God has given to us. And of course, the central relationship that is given is our one to God. Now, that means that this word is hard, maybe even shocking for millennials like me and people who are younger than me in the UK. Because this word is suggesting that authority in general is good. And that parental authority in general is good and is second only to the authority of God. When this command is quoted in the New Testament, it's to actual children, people who are you know, minors. And it's for children, the New Testament says, it means that you obey your parents. If you're young, honouring your parent is obeying them. It's interesting, we hardly know anything at all about Jesus' childhood, but we are told in passing in Luke's Gospel that he obeyed his parents. And that's particularly interesting, isn't it? Because he was definitely perfect, and they were definitely imperfect, and he obeyed them. But there comes a moment in life, and nowadays I guess it's more of a stage in life, when you leave your father and mother and start your own home. And obedience stops sometime in there, but honour continues. The word honour means to sort of give weight to, to treat as weighty, to see someone as important. Don't treat them lightly, treat, treat them in a weighty way. Once my dad arranged for me to go and see a financial advisor and he said to me, don't wear what you normally wear. And what was he saying there? 
this person is important. My dad was giving him weight. What he thought of me mattered. And the Bible is saying, adopt that attitude of giving weight or respect or honour to your parents. Respect their views. Respect what they think, even if you don't agree with what they're like. Simply because they're your parents. It's actually the same word that's often used that we're to take to God to honour him. In a sense, it's easier with God. It's not easier because we're rebellious and we don't like honouring God. But in a sense, it's easier to understand with God because we know he's perfect. But nevertheless, God commands a similar attitude to our parents. Negatively, that means some things are ruled out. It means not totally rejecting or cutting out your parents, your father and your mother. But the Old Testament fills in. It means not wasting what they've given you, not mocking or belittling them, which perhaps is very common in our culture. It's interesting, there's a very famous New Testament story of a son who comes back to your father after doing all of those things. And in the context of what the Old Testament prohibits, makes you realise what a powerful story it is that the father welcomes him back. Positively, the Old Testament repeatedly calls us to regard what our parents have to say as important simply because they are our parents. Families are a unit where we expect to learn. Our parents aren't our peers. Families are an important un uh, unit for functional human beings to be formed. And in Israel, it was linked to life in the land going on, because where families disintegrate, there's no chance at all of a society that honours God or is stable to live in. And that turned out to be true, as King David's own children decided not to obey his commands. Then the nation fell apart. Well, that's what it means, but there are hard cases. There are many hard cases that I know about in our church because people have talked to me and I'm sure there are many more that I don't know about because you've kept them private. What if your parents aren't Christians? Well, I think the Bible's clear you mustn't obey them instead of God if ever you're faced with that stark choice. But I will say this, one of the very best ways of winning them to Jesus, and I think they are the hardest people to win, is if your honour to them increases because you're a Christian. More seriously though, much more seriously, what if you've had abusive parents? Well, I want to tread extremely carefully here. I want to say that in our place at our time, there can be an overuse of that word. People saying their parents are abusive and all they mean is, my parents have exercised authority that I don't like. You know, it can be your parents aren't abusive. They're just not very good parents. And you feel angry because your parents were never interested in you or you never knew one of them or they've been controlling, they've helicoptered over your life or you grew up desperate for them to stay together and research says that it is better for kids if one if their parents stayed together, but one or both of your parents insisted on leaving. And the gospel, it doesn't say those things are unimportant, they don't matter. The gospel names their sin. Putting themselves before you was wrong. 
parents are called to die to themselves for the sake of their children. And they didn't do that. But the call on you, the child, is still to honour them. The gospel gives you, though, more than a command, more than a word to live by. The gospel says, listen, because you have been shown grace and kindness, because you have been adopted into a family of a heavenly father, from there you can learn, probably with plenty of tears and with lots of help, more about that in a moment, you can learn to approach those parents with grace and kindness, even if trust is hard to rebuild. You can move towards them, wanting the best for them. And that is a profoundly beautiful, God-honouring, Jesus-like thing. There are, I'm sure, some situations where it's not safe to be in contact with a parent. That would be harmful to you. Or there's no way to be in contact with them without condoning something really evil that they've done. Certainly honouring your parents, there includes no call to cover up something they've done that is wrong or illegal. Honouring someone as a person actually means respecting their moral choices. It means not enabling and sort of brushing over really serious bad patterns of behaviour. It means maybe sometimes doing what they don't want because that's the choice they've the choice they've made is to be so bad. Maybe not treating them as a trustworthy person is in fact a way of honouring their humanity, the choices they've chosen to make. You can't control them and it's best for them to face the consequences of what they've done. But that never happens without it being a painful tragedy. And you must do that because it is the best way to honour them and their humanity. Not simply because you are fed up, broken, bruised, or you've grown to hate them. Well, if this is all very confusing for you, and I do get for many people it is, I hope you'll find a spiritual parent to help you navigate these choppy waters. The word to live by remains, help us help you to work out how to live in it. Here's my second question about this command. What difference does Jesus make? The picture that's been in my head as we've gone through this series is this picture of a prism and a beam of light hits a prism and it's white but it goes through a prism it comes rainbow out the other side that's what happens with these commands jesus is there in history he's like a prism the commands hits and the full beauty and light of that command come out comes out the other side so if you're organizing a country and you're a god you might want to make the unit of society the family but that's not what we're doing anymore we don't and the responsibility to organise a country. Jesus does something else. He makes it clear that the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is a sort of trailer for the real movie. He makes a worldwide people out of every tribe and nation and they're scattered round the world until he comes to bring them home to a heavenly city. So seeing as this is a social rule for a geographical nation, how does it work for a scattered church? Well, many people have tried saying, well, what we'll do is we'll be a Christian country. So we'll force people to obey Christian rules through the law. It seems to me Jesus says not to do that. 
And how to organise your family life isn't the type of thing that can be enforced on people who aren't Christians anyway. As the beam of the command becomes a rainbow through Jesus, I think the first thing we see is this, that Jesus forms a new family. And if for some of the reasons I have talked about, honouring your biological family is hard, then every Christian is offered a new worldwide family of people you can lean on for support and help. Now let me be clear, the New Testament still says you must honour your biological or adoptive parents, the parents you've grown up with, the people who looked after you. No church replaces that responsibility. In fact, there were people in Jesus' day who said, oh, we can't support our parents because we're following what our religious group says about giving to the temple. And Jesus roundly told them off for disobeying God. So if you join a church that's trying to create distance between you and your parents because we are your true family now, that is a cult. Get out of there as fast as you can. But parents should be a blessing. And the church says, now you have the wisdom and the support and the love and the care and the home of a whole range of people who will be your spiritual parents. And as you go on in the Christian life, you get to do that. Maybe you uh, had your own disappointments with family life. There were children you wished you'd have that you never did. Well, I love this verse. Paul says it almost in passing. Paul, who is not married and who had no biological children, writes one of his letters to Timothy, my true son in the Lord. This relationship is not just like having a child. It's a true child, a true son. And the church in a world where so many people have fractured, messed up family relationships, it is our responsibility as a church to find people to parent. Now, horrifically, abuse has been rife in churches too. And that's particularly terrible because our job as a church is to step up and care for people as good parents do, as God our Father cares for us. If you're above a certain age in our church, and I do mean the certain age is probably about 25, and your approach is to arrive at church with your spouse or your own children, to have a brief chat with people you know, and to retreat home, to your home which is a castle and a fortress. You are missing out on the rainbow way this command falls out onto us. Your biological family is important, you must care for them. But your home and your family is, a, is blessing on you so that the blessing can be poured out onto the world and the church who need it. And maybe if you're of an age where your parents have died, so working out how to follow this command is quite complicated, maybe it's time to wake up to the call to start parenting some younger Christians who really need that. I'm in no way actually telling our church off about this. I'm constantly amazed and encouraged at the spiritual parenting that goes on here. There are many, many models of it. And I guess this command actually applies to say, honour your spiritual parents. It's not totally weird in our church for someone to do this thing, to invest in a younger Christian. And as time goes on, the younger Christian starts to treat them as if they are annoying. Or to suddenly announce, oh, I like the worship better in another church, I'm going there. Or the person to leave Liverpool and the person who's invested in them never to hear from them again. 
Or maybe that's true of the way you've arrived here at our church in Liverpool. You've arrived here with years of people's spiritual care for you. And the blueprint for this family is that you continue to honour those parents. So if someone has helped or is helping you, thank them. If someone messages you to remind you about your connect group, do not roll your eyes like Kevin the teenager. Mum. Like, like they're hassling you. This commandment calls you to more as a Christian, even as people get it wrong, as they often do. If they are calling you to live more in a Christian way, that's a good thing. And anyone who takes that step in your life, even if they get it totally wrong, should be honoured. One more thing that might need reinterpreting for us is this promise that it might go well with you in the land. Paul repeats it in Ephesians 6 and says, this is a command attached to a promise. But it's a strange promise because plenty of people who honour their parents get ill or die. But I think this promise, in a broad sense, does still work. There are people here who've had bad parents, bad church experiences, bad spiritual parents. And the gospel of grace enables you to still seek honour for people who have wronged you. People you get to have a relationship with. And your life will be better and fuller if you work towards being able to honour people rather than letting bitterness and anger and hurt fester. And not only that, I hope you find it encouraging to know that as you do that, as you show back more honour than you've been given, you're doing a small but significant bit of making society better. If in our closest relationships we can show repaying good instead of evil, we're making a better world for everybody. Now I realise for many people that is a long old slog. But as you slog away, you're making life better in the land for you and others. Here's my third question. Why did this make the top ten? Stable families are nice, but are they really up there in God's most important set of commands? You know, as we can even see in This Is Us, some version of this command seems to be something we have a sense we should do anyway. So why put it right in the middle of your ten top words? And later in the law, actually, in this book of Deuteronomy, attach really big penalties for not obeying it. Well, just remember that less than commandments, these words are a demonstration of the character of the God who is giving them out. As much as saying, here's the way you should live, they're about saying, now you have escaped from an evil ruler, what type of ruler, what type of God do you live under now? So what is this showing us about God? Well, the whole story of the Bible is that God is the Father. And that Israel, ancient Israel, these people, not modern Israel, the country, is to be the son displaying the father's character. And so the centre of their commands as a nation is honour your father. In fact, the whole Bible is a story of a child being asked to honour a parent. The first person, Adam, is called God's son. 
and asked to rule over creation like God in the way God does. Israel, the nation, are God's child, called to honour him in the world. And they don't do it, but that's what they're called to do. The kings of Israel are called God's sons, but each chooses to turn away from God. Each of God's sons gives in to temptation and dishonours their father. Then this amazing bit happens in the life of Jesus. He goes into the desert and is met by Satan, God's enemy, and Satan keeps saying to him, if you're really the son of God, you can use your connection with God to do this really selfish thing to help yourself. But Jesus, unlike Adam, unlike Israel, unlike King David, doesn't give in to temptation. Here at last is the real son honouring his father. And actually in the next story we have recorded in the gospel, God opens heaven and says, this is my son and I am pleased with him, a son who honours his father. This perfect relationship isn't simply to admire or envy. The way this son honours his father brings blessing and goodness and rightness to others. He really honours his father and brings goodness to the land, to everybody else. He beats Satan, by not sinning, for us on our behalf. He honours God, so we get the benefits of his obedience for ourselves. He doesn't just honour his father and get long life in the land. He honours his father and gets eternal life in God's new creation for anyone who trusts in him. Here at Christchurch, we are Jesus people. We love Jesus. We admire, we love the beauty of his perfect honouring of God his Father. But more than that, we love him because he gives his rightness with God to us. The beautiful light of this command passed through Jesus is the message that he perfectly honoured God he willingly gives the benefit of that to us and the rightness of that, the perfect relationship with God he has, he will gladly give to anyone who asks him. The perfect son of God honoured his father so he could bring many brothers and sisters, imperfect as they are, into the family. Someone during the pandemic, is the pandemic still going? I don't know. But during the midst of the pandemic, to keep us all going, I think, put up a sign on a fence near our house. I think it was the NHS, saying, you are enough. It was well-meaning. It was trying to say, listen, this is hard, but you can get through it. Oh, just got my nerves, though. <laughs> because I am not enough. This commandment, this word to live by, this law, that everyone, even Hollywood producers can see is a good way to live. Even that simple command, I haven't kept it. I'm a failure as a child, a failure as a parent. I'm full of weakness and coldness as a member of the church to honour the people who've helped me. And Jesus' call is to say, I have been, I will be, I am the Son of God for you. Trust me, take my rightness with God. I, Morris, am not enough, but
that he is an ass. This is us, is moving, it ends with the son honouring his parent. It's moving to us because it's the story imprinted on our hearts. The story of all of history, writ small in a TV programme. Because the story of history is the eternal son honouring his father. Inviting you right now into the blessing and the goodness and the rightness that comes from that. And that is why we love Jesus, the perfect son.